Um, and on the screen there, you may notice a beautiful green background. That, that was my daughter, Corinna, that did that. Um, so we, are, we love artists, and I have a family full of artists. I'm not one, so I'm always thankful that I have art all around me. Um, so Incentive to Obey is the title of the message. Sometimes in life, we're expected to do something or obey, obey someone, follow some orders without necessarily knowing the reason or perhaps not respecting the one giving the orders. Um, you could ask anyone who served in the military, and most likely they will tell you that at some point they had to follow an order that they didn't think made sense. They had to follow an order, or they had to follow an order that came from someone they didn't respect. When I was a young Marine, I was once tasked with raking a parking lot. It was a gravel and dirt parking lot, and a visiting general was in the area, so several of us raked the parking lot of the mess hall so that the general would be duly impressed if he were to come to lunch there. There was a bit of grumbling among us who were raking that parking lot, Uh, and even more so when the general never showed up for lunch anyway. (laughs) At other times, I was under the charge of someone who I personally felt should have no authority to give orders whatsoever. You would wonder, how did this person get promoted to this position? How could they possibly be given any authority at all? And certainly, no matter what political spectrum that you find yourself on, there's likely been times where you viewed a public leader with disdain or derision because they were very difficult for you to respect. While this isn't the point of this sermon, I would urge caution for all of you in how you think of and speak of anyone in leadership. Because God himself is above all, and he's the one who puts into place our rulers. I remember years ago, and I won't give the exact year, but there was a lot of angst in the area we were living at that time, immediately following a particular presidential election. And I was driving past a church, and the marquee sign simply said, Romans 13. And Romans 13, 1 and 2 says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. This is easier said than done. What if the authority seems to be incompetent, or from some people's perspective, evil? What if it seems the election was unfair, or people voted not knowing something that might have changed their vote had they known it ahead of time. But we notice that Paul does not write that we're subject to the governing authorities we like or agree with. And further down, he says, give respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. Yet, in nearly every case, since I've been paying attention in my lifetime, the majority of those in the party opposite the current president have held that president in contempt. Tell me it's not true. I've, I've been witnessing this for my lifetime so far. They do not show proper respect or honor. And we seem to have a hard time balancing 
our responsibility to be engaged in our republic and advocating for issues important to us with being respectful and decent. It's a, it's a hard balancing act. I doubt not one of us in the room could say we've perfectly kept Romans 13. So we struggle with authority, particularly if we disagree or if we think the one in authority is wrong or immoral or whatever we think of them. What can help us is to be reminded of what should be our proper motivation to be good followers. Romans 13 is one of many scriptures that guide us here. And we're given an incentive to be subject to the governing authorities. One incentive is that the authority comes from God, and authorities that exist have been instituted by God. And not only that, but in Romans 13, Paul reminds the reader that governors bear the sword. That is, they are responsible to punish wrongdoers. So if you want to avoid punishments, you, you obey the law. The only exception being that Scripture gives us this exception that if following the law puts you at odds with God's law, then you follow God's law. But if you do good, you will not need to fear those in authority. Again, a clarification is not made here that this only applies to leadership if you voted for them or if you currently appreciate the direction they're going in. So from national politics down to the local level, we are to obey laws and leaders, even in the HOA. <laughs> and, and I can tell you, having recently attended my first homeowners association meeting, that many of the people there certainly had not read Romans 13 before going to that meeting. Now, this morning, after we've had a two-week break from Deuteronomy, we're back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, and we have seen in this chapter so far that Moses commands obedience. He has taught the people rules and statutes, which are from God and passed down through Moses, so that Moses is not the author, or really the one in full authority, but rather God himself has made these decrees. These statutes are to be made known to future generations as well. We will see this recurring theme through the next couple chapters, the theme of obedience to God and his commands and the charge to teach these things to your children, grandchildren, and every generation. So you may have seen an email from me a few weeks ago and the governing board has been having discussions about bringing Sunday school back to Oasis Church uh, this coming fall. And the curriculum we're currently looking at is called D6. And D6 has a couple of meanings. One of the meanings is because it's based on Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7, which says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So that's the first reason for the D6. The second reason for the six is that the curriculum goes through the entire Bible every six years. So theoretically, if a child went from first grade through twelfth grade, they had been through the Bible twice by then. So uh, throughout the spring and the summer, 
because we're in this book of Deuteronomy, we're going to be seeing again and again and again this theme of obedience to God's commands and repetition of them and the charge to every generation to teach and pass down God's law. And this is to be the highest goal and most important task for parents and grandparents in particular, but not only to parents and grandparents, but the whole community has the responsibility as well. You are to always be talking about what it means to live for God. It is to be a constant theme in your conversations. So when you are sitting, when you are walking or driving, when you're getting ready for bed, when you're waking up, you should be constantly reminding yourself and those you are given care for to care for of the things of God. So as we learn about these things over the next few months and are reminded again and again of this charge, my prayer is that as you hear God's word, especially regarding your responsibility to be part of a community that is constantly engaged in reminding ourselves what following God is all about, that you would be challenged, and if need be, that you would be convicted to do the work God has given you. If you are a parent with kids at home, that you would feel the need and conviction to obey these scriptures. If you don't have your own children, maybe you will be given spiritual children to grow, help train up in the Lord. But as a church, we at Oasis must be obedient to God's word and foster a culture of always talking about these things. So this is why I take very seriously my highest charge as your pastor to make sure there are opportunities for every believer, young and old, new to the faith, mature in the faith, everyone in between, to engage with God's word in a way that challenges us to live it out. So Deuteronomy 4, we're back in Deuteronomy 4. We started out with a command to obey and to make these things known to each generation. Then in verses 15 to 30, we saw a prohibition against idolatry. God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He will not tolerate anything that's held higher than him in esteem and certainly not pathetic idols that are made by people. Now this morning we're going to be looking at verses 32 to 40. And here we see some incentives for us to obey. You see, when it comes to obey God, it's not like obeying a person. We may wonder about orders from a person, right? Whether they make sense or not. You contemplate things like that as you're raking a parking lot. But we need never to question God's rulings. We don't question his authority. We don't question his reasoning. We don't question whether he's qualified to be in charge or not. In our passage this morning, this is what Moses is reminding the people. And it says this, starting in verse 32. For ask now of the days that are past, which which were before you, Since the day that God created man on the earth and asked from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of, did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of a fire as you have heard and still live? 
Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation from himself, for himself from the na- midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he lets you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire. And you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving you before the, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day, know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commands, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Notice one of the first things Moses brings in as an implication is the creator and creature relationship we have with God. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Moses often reminded the people of the creation. And indeed, in many of the Jewish rituals, God as creator is a prevalent theme. Devout Christians, I'm rather devout Jews and Christians today, still read the creation account regularly. Drawing back to the creation, Moses is basically saying this, that from man's perspective, that is in human history, There has not been the sort of signs and wonders the people of the Exodus have witnessed. Verse 33, did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Of course, this refers to God speaking from the pillar of fire. And here we should note that it is important that God is not the fire itself. Yes, I know God, or Moses earlier had said, God is a consuming fire. Keep in mind, this is not literal in the sense that God exists as a fire or as any physical thing. Jesus told the woman at the well, God is spirit, right? So Moses does not use language that God appeared to them as fire, but rather he spoke out of the midst of the fire. The people of the Exodus witnessed this. And there is a level of amazement stacked on another level of amazement. The first level of amazement that the people witnessed this, they had never witnessed anything like that before and no one else before them. But the second level of amazement on this is that they survived. You heard the voice of God and lived. This speaks to the holiness of God. You may remember Isaiah's fear when he encountered the living God. 
I'm going to read from Isaiah 6, just verses 1 to 5 to remind you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! I'm lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We know that even those beings that are simply God's messengers, we call them angels in Scripture, um, struck fear into the heart of just about everyone who encountered them. From Zechariah in Luke 1, when we see that account, to many other encounters that people had with God's messengers, we see the common statement of those angels is what? Fear not. Why would they have to say fear not to everybody? Well, apparently because the response of people to an angelic encounter is fear and trembling. If the holiness of angels is enough to make men tremble, how much more the holiness of God? In fact, in human terms, none of us would survive in the unfiltered presence of God. The only reason we can encounter God is that he protects us from his own holiness. He provides for us to approach his throne through the provision of his son, Jesus. That's the blood we were just talking about a bit ago. The people of Israel had heard the voice of God and lived. Verse 34, Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you, in Egypt before your eyes? Another rhetorical question. The clear answer is no. No other God has done this. Of course, this is not some admission by Moses that there are other gods. Remember, in Scripture, just as in literature today, literary devices were used, and this is a rhetorical question. Really, it's a statement made as a question, probably for making the point stronger. Clearly, there is no other God And even the gods men have made for themselves have not done what God has done in selecting for himself a people and bringing them out through trials, showing signs and wonders, making war on their behalf against Egypt to get them out. Verse 35, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Again and again, God has proven himself to Israel. So many signs and wonders from the plagues of Egypt to the parting of the Red Sea to the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud to provision of water and food in the wilderness to the snakes and the remedy for the snakes, the brass serpent, to the victories in battle, God had proven himself again and again. 36, out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. Moses is well aware of the fear that hearing God's voice brought to the people. It was a form of discipline to them. 
Now we need to remember that discipline and punishment don't always mean the same thing. Even though sometimes punishment and discipline are the same thing, that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes punishment comes that does not bring any learning or result in increased obedience. And sometimes discipline is not just punitive. It's to help someone grow in their potential. Loving fathers discipline their children. They don't simply operate out of wrath, but out of love. If a child is misbehaving and they hear the voice of their father, then they may be jolted out of their disobedience into obedience. They may stop immediately. Why? Is it fear or respect or both? Hopefully both. Respect is, is that I want to bring honor to my father who is God's authority in the life of the child. And fear is that if I do not correct my behavior, a consequence will be forthcoming. Out of heaven, he let them hear his voice that he might discipline you. Additionally, he let them see the fire and he spoke from the fire. Verse 37. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day, know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other. God proved his love to their fathers. He brought them out. He drove out nations greater than them. Based on all that we've said so far about the miracles and what God had shown them, the people are to realize one thing. The Lord is God in heaven and on the earth beneath. There is no other. You see, the people of God are not asked to obey some crazy orders that don't make sense to them. He doesn't ask us to obey someone whose authority we are unsure of. God has already proven himself to the people of Israel in all these powerful ways, and therefore they have every reason to trust him, every reason to love him, every reason to obey him. God would have the right to demand complete obedience and allegiance even if he had told the people nothing yet, if he had done them no favors, if he had shown them no signs, he still would have the right to demand obedience. And yet God gives to them many proofs and reminders of his steadfast love, his faithfulness to his covenant, his trustworthiness. And based on all of this, verse 40, therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. He has given us so many incentives today. So many incentives to obey. All the proofs and all of the promises. The promises will be elaborated at another time, but the basic promise is here. Keep his statutes and commandments that it may go well with you. Our God does not require us to obey without offering incentive. His incentives come from his loving nature. Even the Ten Commandments begin with an incentive to obey. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's how the Ten Commandments begin. A lot of people 
they have them listed, and number one just says, uh, you shall have no other gods before you. But before that is the preface. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Only after this reminder do the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words begin. God always gives us an incentive to obey. And yet, while we can apply some of Deuteronomy to ourselves, we cannot say he brought us out of Egypt or delivered us from slavery, can we? Well, on the first point, no. I don't know. As far as I know, there's no one in here delivered from Egypt. However, if we are in the faith, he has delivered us from slavery. No, we did not come from Egypt, but we came from weakness. We were the ungodly. We have an even greater incentive to obey God. And we find part of this in Romans 5, starting at verse 6. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have many wonderful commands from Jesus. And obeying them brings us further and further into freedom. And we have every incentive to obey. Jesus gave us a new commandment to love one another. And the incentive is that the Son of Man is glorified. Do you love Jesus? That is an incentive then to keep his commands. John fourteen fifteen. And does he leave us to do this on our own? No. He said he would give us a helper. John 14, starting at verse 15, says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So here we see one of the reasons we're given the Holy Spirit to help us to prove our love for Jesus by helping us to keep his commands. So just as Moses gave incentives in the form of proofs to the people to obey God based on what God had done for Israel, so the Christian today has incentives in the forms of proofs based upon what Christ has done for us. And just as Moses gave the incentive in the form of promises, So we are given incentive in the form of promises. In the Revelation, we see some of these promises for the future glory. Those in Christ can look forward to that. The new city, the river of life. But we do not obey the commands of Christ because we will earn eternal life. We have eternal life. So we obey the commands of Christ. I want to say that again. We do not obey the commands of Christ because we'll earn eternal life. We have eternal life, so we obey the commands of Christ. 
We obey because he has proved himself. And we obey because he has promised us future glory. The people of Israel were not asked to obey based on a command only. They were given the incentive when God showed them his mighty power in rescuing them from Egypt and bringing them to the promised land. We are told that this obedience would also make their lives better, and so the same is true for ourselves. We don't obey to get good things in this life. We don't obey because we hope to earn eternal life. We obey because we have received love, We and we love. He proved himself in a great act of love, and in response, if we love him, we obey. Now, in that respect, we've all missed the mark. We've all fallen short. How can we do this? How can we obey Christ? The reality is we can't even do it without his help. Thankfully, he provided that help so we can ask the Holy Spirit and he will give us strength to live a life of holiness. And this is what, at the end of John 14, verses 21 through 30, as Jesus continued to teach about the Holy Spirit, he said this, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place that when it, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming who has no claim on me. This is what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Now, if we look at our main passage from Deuteronomy 4 this morning, we see that they had the incentive to obey and then they were given some, let's call it equipment to obey. Part of that was the ongoing learning. Remember, teach these things to your children and your children's children. What happens when you teach something? Do you not grow in your knowledge of that subject? If you've ever been tasked to teach something, I guarantee you, you remember it better than if you had not taught it. So they were given that, and they were given the community. And the community could encourage one another, enforce the rules, enforce the living that they're supposed to do. We were given all of that, to help us obey the commands, but also we're given the Holy Spirit who helps us to keep the commands. And so we're without excuse when it comes to loving Jesus by keeping his commands. So with that said, I'm going to close up and uh, we'll close with a word of prayer here, but 
as we go forward through the rest of the summer and looking into the fall and into the future, what we're going to continue to do to try to grow opportunities in our, uh, in our community for learning and to teach each other and to encourage one another. Please, please keep praying for the church. Um, and we want to hear from you. We wanna, the governing board, too, wants to hear from you about ideas you might have. Uh, we can't do everything, but we want to do some things really well. And number one is we want to provide those opportunities for discipleship. And when I say that, what I mean is opportunities for us to get into God's word together, to teach it, to learn it, and to live it. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the fact that we can go back to an ancient text like Deuteronomy and draw from it living water. Lord, you have shown us so much this morning. You've challenged us. And you've given us the incentive to obey you. Lord, may we take it seriously, this incentive. The incentive is, Lord, you proved yourself to us through the resurrection, through the work on the cross. You give us the opportunity and promise for future glory. And that ought to be incentive enough, Lord, but yet we still fall short. What we really need, Lord, is your help day by day to prove our love to you through obeying your commands. And so, Lord, I ask that we each open our hearts to the work of the Holy Spirit that would continue to grow us and mature us in this area of obedience. And, Lord, as we look into the world around us and see discouragement and things that are even disgusting to us and things that are vile, and we sometimes wonder, Lord, What's going on? Help us, Lord, to trust that you are in complete control of everything. Your sovereignty is not to be matched. You are above it all. You know it all. You, you will prove yourself through all of us. Through everything that happens, you'll prove to be a faithful God. As you've proven already, you will continue to do. For this, Lord, we praise you. We worship you and thank you, and I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who go out of this place and don't just leave it here, but we see a mission field all around us. May we be bold in our faith, Lord, because you give us the Holy Spirit, and that ought to make us bold. Help us to live it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jason. Are you hearing the